The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. All right, find a seat. Find a seat. I'm going to start singing, and you don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> Happy Palm Sunday. hoping to see a lot of palms church today but maybe next time thank you thank you next time so well I'm gonna offer us a prayer of confession uh, before we dig into the word this morning and so bow your heads with me as I offer these prayers O Lord, who on this day entered the rebellious city that later rejected you, we confess that our wills are as rebellious as Jerusalem's, that our faith is often more show than substance, that our hearts are in need of cleansing. Have mercy on us, son of David, savior of our lives. Help us to lay at your feet all that we have and all that we are, trusting you to forgive what is sinful, to heal what is broken, to welcome our praises, and to receive us as your own. Please take a minute or two to offer your own prayer of confession in silence. Triumphant, Lord, we rejoice in your entry into the world and into our lives. Joining with the crowd, we sing your praises and exalt your reign. But even so, our hearts are far from true worship. Our hearts are distant from true understanding. We are disappointed with your humility. We are uninspired by your selflessness. Our sin leads us to give you death, even though you gave us life. Our treachery guides us to war, even though you call us to peace. Help us to reflect in our lives the glory of your Son and to live faithfully here and now. Have mercy on us, Savior of all. Find us in these forsaken places. Forgive what we have done and who we have been. 
bring us home again and impart within us a new song of joy and salvation. We pray for your word this morning. Talk to our hearts. Open our hearts to receive you. Give us your Holy Spirit to help us understand, to convict our hearts, and to lead us into repentance. Thank you for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was telling Bob, I don't have my glasses with me uh, this morning. When I left the house, I knew something was missing, so <laughs> pray for me. Thank God for light. <laughs> so if you see me doing this, it's because my vision. Okay. Palm Sunday. And so this morning, uh, we will be in Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. And the big question I want to ask this morning is, what kind of person do you wish Jesus to be? What kind of person do you wish Jesus to be? Because in our minds, right, we have a picture of who we want God to be. So this morning, what kind of person do you wish Jesus to be? And the big answer this morning is, Jesus is always who he wants to be, whether it fits our agenda or not. Jesus is always who he wants to be, whether it fits our agenda or not. And so if you have a theological box where you put Jesus in, just throw away that box because Jesus doesn't care about that box. You don't define who he is. He defines you, right? So whatever you think of him, it doesn't matter. It's what he thinks of you. And as I was thinking of uh, an intro for my sermon this morning, I kept thinking of uh, my favorite movie, the best movie of all time, Cool Runnings. Who has seen Cool Runnings? Thank you. Right? And so if you haven't watched Cool Runnings, it's a true life story about four Jamaican bobsledders. You might be wondering, what's bobsledding? Bobsledding is a sport that kills. Basically, right? <laughs> because bobsledding is you're in a square and you're running on ice for, I don't know, 120 miles. It's not something that I want to do, right? And so during Winter Olympics, I don't even bother watching it because I'm like, there are not too many people who look like me that are doing this, that are crazy enough, so yeah. And so uh, in the movie, Right, you have four Jamaicans who didn't qualify for the Summer Olympics, and these were runners. Instead of waiting four years, they decided, you know, we will try out in the Winter Olympics, and we will compete in bobsledding. They found a coach, an American guy who, you know, was a wonderful athlete back in his day, and so he did something disgraceful and kind of left the sport, and so they convinced him to coach them, and they did. And so they flew to Calgary for the competition, and one of the scenes in the movie was, you know, all the athletes were out there, you know, getting their bobsleds ready, and then you have these four Jamaican guys in a truck, you know, with their bobsled. As they approached where all the other uh, Olympians were, the bobsledders, 
you know, they started pulling their bobsled out of the truck. And then one athlete just turned and looked at them. And then he froze. And then the entire bobsledders just started looking at the Jamaicans. And everything just stopped. And you can tell in their face, they're like, you're not Vikings. You don't belong here. We're talking about ice. It's not 98 degrees here, right? <laughs> This is bobsledding. And what are four Jamaicans doing here? Like, something didn't fit. Something didn't make sense for four Jamaicans to be competing in a sport that they shouldn't be. I'm not going to tell you the rest of the movie. You just have to go watch it, right? And so the triumphant entry, in a way, is kind of like that. Like, something just doesn't add up with what Jesus is doing in this story. The triumphant entry is also called Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is also called Passion Sunday, which in the Christian tradition is the first day of the week of Holy Week. Which, uh, which celebrates the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. And so let's read the passage and see uh, what I'm talking about. And so Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 through 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, a fowl of donkey. The disciple went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowd that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was steered and asked, Who is this? The crowd answers, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. What a story. And so in verse 1, it says that Jesus was approaching Jerusalem, right? And so in the previous chapter, Jesus was leaving Jericho. But in the outskirts of Jericho, he saw two blind guys, and he stopped and healed them. And so after healing them, he continued on his journey. And now in the story, we know that he is heading towards Jerusalem, right? But Jerusalem is also the place that Jesus avoided during his ministry. And the reason was, that was where the religious elite lived, 
That was where the temple was. And Jesus usually spent most of his ministry in villages and towns, smaller towns, right? He wasn't a city person. Even when he went to the city, he was very secretive about it. But here in the story, Jesus is heading into Jerusalem. And he wasn't going to hide. And he knew what was at risk. Because if the religious elite saw him, they'll probably arrest him, condemn him, and hand him over to the Romans. But Jesus wasn't worried about that this time. He was ready. Something was different about him. And he was going to enter publicly so that everyone can see him come. But before he enters Jerusalem, we are told, he stopped at Bethage, a village we know nothing about. But there, Jesus sent two disciples ahead of him and tells them, go to the village ahead of you, and I want something there that I want you to bring back to me. And what was it that he wanted? In verse 2, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. Verse 3, if anyone say anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. And then verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. Right? And so the disciples did as Jesus instructed. They go to, the, to a village and they found a donkey and a colt. The Gospel of Mark reports that bystanders saw the disciples untying the colt and the donkey. Matthew doesn't tell us that detail, but Mark does. And in the Gospel of Luke, Luke actually tells us that the owners of the colt and the donkey were the ones who stopped the disciple and said, what are you doing? Why are you untying the colt, right? And then the disciple answered the way Jesus told them to. They spoke to the owners, and they said that Jesus had given them permission and we learn from the other gospel writers that the cult had never been ridden, which was a gesture of respect and honor. And to offer such an animal, it was basically saying, this animal, Jesus, has been reserved for you. It is ready for you. You can take this animal and use it. Right? And these people were probably believers. Because we don't even know if they had met Jesus before, but obviously they have heard of him and they knew that Jesus was coming to take it. And they had no objection. They're like, this is ready for you. Take it to Jesus. And that is what happened. But Matthew also tells us that this happened to fulfill an Old Testament uh, prophecy. Because Jesus, went, during his earthly ministry, he came to do the will of his father, but he also came to fulfill all the prophecies that were written about him in the Old Testament. And so we see Jesus fulfilling one of the prophecies from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, 
the fowl of a donkey. But, and this is a strange part for me because it seems very inappropriate that any king, much less the king of kings, should make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? But not just a grown donkey, but a baby donkey, a colt, right? Because a king should be riding on a white stallion, right? A chariot of fire. And yet, we have this grown man, Jesus, riding on a donkey, a baby donkey. Like, this picture doesn't add up. Kind of like the Jamaicans showing up to bobsled. They don't belong there. And why doesn't this picture add up? Here's what a Roman triumphal entry looks like. When a Roman general came back to Rome after a complete conquest of an enemy, he was welcomed with an elaborate official parade. In the parade, he will exhibit his trophies of war and illustrious prisoners he had captured. And then the victorious general rode in a golden chariot Priests burned incense in his honor, and the people shouted his name and praised him. And then the procession ended at the arena where the people were entertained by watching the captives fight with wild beasts. That was a Roman triumphal entry. That was a manly man. It's like, that's how I want to show up, like the Roman, not like Jesus, right? If I was one of Jesus' disciples, I'd be like, yo, Jesus... Do it for us. This is too embarrassing. Come on, man. <laughs> like, I wouldn't want to roll with Jesus like that. <laughs> I'm like, look at the Romans. Look at how they do it. Like, if you want to show up to Jerusalem, do it in a legit way. But we do not define who Jesus is. And think about how people today, how powerful and wealthy people, you know, how they come into the scene for any event. You know, I was thinking of uh, uh, the Marvel, uh, Captain America, right? It's like Captain America. Who was Steven Rogers before he became Captain America? He was this skinny dude with no abs, and they're like, no, you cannot be Captain America. Captain America needs abs, strength. See, it's like a show of strength. <laughs> That's how you show up. And my favorite person, Iron Man. When Iron Man shows up, he shows up. When there's trouble, he shows up with all the cool gadgets, right? It's like, that's how Jesus should show up. But with Jesus, it was different. Because Jesus riding on a cold is what God's prophet predicted. And that is what God's son did. Because it was the divine plan of the Father. Jesus was obeying the Father. He was not at that time intended to come in earthly splendor or to reign in earthly power. He did not come in wealth, but he came in poverty. He did not come in grandeur, but in weakness, in meekness. And he did not come to slay his enemies, but to save all mankind. And what better way to come into Jerusalem than with a cult? Then in verse 6, then the disciples did as, as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them 
for Jesus to sit on. Verse 8. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Because Jesus was a king like no other, his entry was different too. And by the standards and purposes of earth's kings, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem was anything but triumphant. Because Rome didn't even see Jesus as a threat. You know, the Romans, they were very good at squashing anything that they thought was a threat, right? But Jesus riding on a colt, it was a joke. If you were a Roman and saw Jesus, you're probably like, this man is crazy today. You didn't think of it, right? And so none of the gospel writers told us that Rome was worried about what Jesus did. They didn't bother sending soldiers to squash any insurrection that might be going on. Even though we are told that crowds surrounded Jesus, Jesus wasn't a threat to them. Jesus was a joke. But by the standards and purposes of God, it was exactly as it was meant to be. Jesus' entry on a colt, the fall of a beast, was not a put-down. It was the sovereign choice of God the Father and the Son, who himself willingly came to earth as the servant Savior to take upon the sin of the world. And nothing could have been more appropriate than the bearer of the sin of the world, sin, entering into God's city, riding on a lonely beast of burden. A donkey was amazing at carrying so much load on its back. Man, they were, they were built like a rock. And that was the point, right? That was what the cold symbolized, Jesus taking the sin of the world on himself. A horse is only fast and majestic, but they can't do what donkeys do. And so we are told as Jesus began to ride into the city, a multitude spread their garments on the road. And it was an ancient custom for citizens to throw their garments in the road for their monarchs to ride over, symbolizing their respect and their submission uh, to their authority. And so while these people were putting clothes in Jesus' path, others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them on the road. And from John's gospel, we learned that the branches were from palm trees where Palm Sunday comes from, which was symbolic for salvation. I was, I was actually shocked by how the crowd reacted, right? Because nothing bothered them. They were like, yes, we will follow you. We will put palm trees, throw our clothes. Like they were into it. They loved what Jesus was doing. And I was like, because it's, it was odd for me that Jesus would ride that way. And my initial reaction would be the Jews who probably react like the Romans did. But no. And I was thinking, why was that? But that was because they probably saw, that, they probably saw all the miracles that Jesus had performed. They saw how he healed the blind, raised the dead. Feed thousands of people, and they knew that this guy was different. He was legit. Even though he was riding on a colt, they overlooked that. They saw something in him. 
And what was it that they saw in him also? Verse 9, the crowd that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. The Hebrew word Hosanna simply means save now. The crowd that day, they were not interested in Jesus saving their souls, but they wanted Jesus to save their nation. They knew Jesus had supernatural power. So of course, we will throw our clothes in palm trees to honor him because we want him to do something for us. And like the 12 disciples, they probably wondered if Jesus was truly the Messiah, he had not used his supernatural powers against the Romans. Now at last they thought he will manifest himself as a conqueror. And during this time, it was Passover. And remember what God did in Egypt? He defeated Egypt and freed his people. And so what a great time for Jesus to defeat the Romans during this time. That was what the people thought. Furthermore, the multitude acknowledged Jesus as the son of David, which was the most common messianic title. They were crying out for the Messiah's deliverance, pleading in effect, save us now, great Savior, save us now. They didn't care about what Jesus was doing. They only cared about what they would get out of Jesus. The multitude knew who Jesus was, but they did not understand or believe what they knew. They were right, India believed that he was the Messiah. He was the son of David. And that he came in the name of the Lord. But they were wrong, India believed, about the kind of deliverer that Jesus was. They knew he was a king, but they did not understand the nature of his kinship and what his kingdom looked like. They did not understand that his kingdom was not of this world, that Jesus was not interested in what they wanted. He was interested in something more than that, something more significant. And that was why it was so easy for them to turn against him when they realized that Jesus didn't care. Well, Jesus cared, but he wasn't there to do what they wanted. Remember when they shouted, we want Barabbas crucified Jesus? How easy it was that they turned on Jesus because Jesus wouldn't let them define who he is. Jesus defines who he is, and he remains true to himself. And then in verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stared and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Isn't this baffling? I mean, they just proclaimed Jesus to be the Messiah, the son of David. And then here they're like, Ah, oh, it's Jesus, the prophet. You know, from the no place, Galilee, have you heard about it? Yeah, that's where he's from. It's like, really? <laughs> How easy for you to change your mind. I mean, after the great shouts of acclamation, 
had subdued and Jesus had entered Jerusalem, the people began asking. And the best response was, he's just a prophet from Galilee. Obviously, most of them had paid little attention to what they were saying. Right? It's like if you, I, I don't play hockey, and so if I go to a hockey game and they're saying stuff, Obviously, I'm going to say what they're doing to be a good fan, but I have no idea what's happening, right? <laughs> this is kind of what they're doing. They had barely finished proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah, the son of David, who came in the name of the Lord, but they did not comprehend what they were saying. And when the mass emotions faded, they were hard put to say who Jesus really was. Instead, he was a prophet from Galilee. They no longer praised him as the son of David or as the deliverer that they wanted, but rather a prophet from Galilee, which was an insult, uh, by the way. And so what do we learn uh, from this story? What do we learn from the triumphal entry? The first lesson is the point that I made. Jesus is always who he wants to be regardless of what you want him to be in your life. See, the people wanted a conquering Messiah who will come in great military power to overthrow Rome, to establish a kingdom of justice and righteousness. And these are great things. But Jesus did not come to conquer Rome. But he came to conquer sin and death, which were more important than what the people wanted. He did not come to make a war with Rome, but to bring peace for all mankind. And that was much better than what they wanted. The crowd wanted Jesus on their own terms, and they will not bow to a king who was not of their liking. And even though he were the son of God, they wanted Jesus to destroy Rome, but not their cherished sins, and their hypocritical, superficial religion. But Jesus will not deliver on their terms, and they will not be delivered on his. And that was why they were easy to turn away from him. Many people today who are open to Jesus think that if Jesus gives them wealth, success, happiness, and other worldly things, they'll worship him, right? like the multitude at the triumphal entry. But if Jesus does things, if Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you must suffer and die, how many people stay? It's like, ah, uh, too hard, goodbye. I'm going to try something else, Jesus. It's not personal, but it's just too much. And that's what we do sometimes as Christians. And, you know, we, we, have a, we all have a theological box. And I don't care what you say. We all do. We all have our images of what God is. And we put God in that theological box. And if God does something that doesn't fit in that box, we're like, God, you need to come back into this box. Right? Because I'm not ready to go out. <laughs> <laughs> and experience this other side of you that's very uncomfortable. And so come back here. Like, be this person that I have defined. We do that as Christians. Even when we pray, when we ask for things, right? In our mind, we know exactly what we want from God. You know, if you pray for a wife, you're like, 
God, I want a wife, but I know exactly what kind of girl I want. You describe her to God. You're like, that's what I want. <laughs> Even if that's not what God wants for you. Doesn't matter. We do that, right? And so it's easy <laughs> to call these people who were throwing themselves at Jesus and later rejecting him as hypocritical. But we do the same in our Christian journey today. But thank God for the cross. Jesus knew what we needed the most. And it didn't distract him. Didn't change who he was. Didn't change his mission. He knew what we needed the most. And we just need to trust Jesus. We just need to trust that whatever he does is for the best. He knows what we need the best. Even when we don't see it right there, we just have to trust him. Because when we eventually see it, we will see that he was right and what he has done is better. But what he has done is so much better, right? That's what we'll be celebrating next week. The gift that he gave us was so much better because now we can live in freedom. We can enjoy God. But Jesus also cares about the other things that ails us. Jesus cares about political unrest. He cares about poverty. He cares about wars. He cares about all those things, and he's watching. And he's doing something about it. Even if we cannot see his hand, he is doing something about it. I have to believe that he is doing something about it because he holds the whole world in his hands. He allows things to happen. And so he has the ultimate control. And I know he'll put an end on those things. And so Jesus cares about those things too. But most importantly, he cares about your salvation and my salvation. And that is what Palm Sunday is about. It's not about being freed politically. No, it's about enjoying Jesus and the greatest gift that he's about to offer in which we get to celebrate next week. And so as we eat uh, communion this morning, you know, we eat communion every Sunday to remember this wonderful gift that was given to us by Jesus. You know, when he was with his disciples, he gathered them and he broke bread and said, this is my body. When you take this, eat and remember the body that I will die on the cross for you. And in the same way, he took juice and said, this is my blood, the blood that I will shed on the cross for you. When you drink this, remember what I've done for you. It is the greatest thing we can ever want or hope for. And it is a gift for us all. And so if you are here and you're like, I don't do Jesus, just Open your heart to him this morning. What do you have to lose? I can promise you it is the greatest thing you can ever have in your life. Right? Because I cannot even explain it. But just give the Holy Spirit a chance to open your heart and receive Christ this morning. And see how he changes you. And so if that's you, Daniel will be on the side offering prayers for anyone who needs it. Right? 
And if you have any burden, anything that you need prayers for, please go to Daniel for prayers. And so pray with me as we get ready to eat communion this morning. Jesus, thank you for your triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Even though to many it seemed like it was a joke, but it wasn't. And thank you for the mission that was set before you and how you accomplished that mission. Thank you for giving us what we need the most and not what we think we need. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. And so we're grateful for all you do for us. Thank you for this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.